Today on Catfish Best Source, we got a very, very special treat from In Fisherman Magazine. We got Doug Stangy and Rob Newman from the studios of Grand Forks Best Source. Welcome to Catfish Best Source. I'm your host, Brad Derrick, joined by producer Paul. Thank you for joining us. Before we get going too far, Brothers Firearms. Whether it's for sport, hunting, self-defense, Brothers Firearms has you covered. Check out their new location in the Grand Cities Mall. Brothers Firearms shop buys, sells, trades, and services all makes models of firearms. Check out our huge selection of accessories. An NFA dealer, Brothers Firearms knowledgeable staff can help you get answers and product that you are looking for. See their list of departments at brothersfirearmshop.us. Call them at 701-757-2112. Brothers Firearm Shop. Buy, sell, trade, new and used firearms located in the Grand Cities Mall in beautiful Grand Forks, North Dakota. Uh, A couple of notes before we get started. Tournament news. The Drayton Catfish Capital Challenge, August 6th and 7th. Entries are open. Sign up at catfishdrayton.com. Space is limited. Catfish University returns to North Sioux City, South Dakota, March 6th to sign up for that. Catfishuniversity.com. We're taking a fundamental approach this year. We're starting kind of at the beginning and going from there. Plus, we'll have some new stuff that I've been working on. So, now that we got the business portion of it done, I'd like to welcome our very special guests from In Fisherman Magazine, Doug Stangy. And Rob Newman. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. You bet. That's the first time I've ever seen you without a hat. That's <laughs> probably the last, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got hair, by golly. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, I suppose you if, you, if you ever see a picture of me, you probably I probably do have a hat on, don't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going to start right at the beginning here. The reason I've been... When I first came up with the concept of this show, you guys were the ones I I went to first. You guys were the ones I wanted because basically everything I've done here in my career came from a little book, looks something like this, that Doug was a big part of. There's a video to go with it, which um, I'm really glad you guys put that on YouTube because I've had a lot of fun sharing that and watching it and oh yeah and there's still a lot of lot of great stuff so let's uh start with with you Doug um that's you know kind of the border of everything but when did you get started writing about in about catfishing and you know I know it goes back to an earlier part of your life what really got you going uh well <clears throat> I grew up catfishing so ten years old I'm biking to uh, the little Rock River that's north of our little town in northwest Iowa. So that was the start of my catfishing. Um, Started to get a sense about the wonder of it all. But then um, I went to school. I was a teacher and a coach. Um, Went to Sibley, Iowa, which is in the northwest corner of Iowa. It's right by the Iowa Great Lakes, but there's also some great rivers there. And so started to fish there, uh, started writing when I was teaching and coaching, was writer and I mean was teaching and coaching for 10 years. And uh, but during that time, I started freelance writing. And if you remember Fishing Facts magazine back in the day was really the coolest magazine of its time going back to the 60s and 70s. And I got to write a few pieces about catfishing and other uh, fish uh, that was the beginning of it all, probably about 1976 would have been my first article. 
I, that's uh, getting into my life life right there. But I mean, that's what got it all. So one thing I don't know is what did you actually teach when you were a teacher? Oh, I was, I taught life science in middle school. And then I uh, did a lot of the middle school sports and I was the high school baseball coach. I always loved to play baseball. See, we learned something about you right there. So yeah. when you made the big jump, do you went right to in fisherman or was there a middle stop somewhere in there? <clears throat> um, 1977, I started writing the bits and pieces column in in fisherman. And so this was, uh, I joined in fisherman then in 1981. So I was writing for uh, the magazine for like four years before they finally lost one of the editors, the original editors. And I had gotten to know Al and Ron by that time. And when that guy left, they asked me to become one of the editors. And I jumped at the chance, obviously. Uh, we moved from Northwest Iowa to Brainerd, Minnesota. And I've been here almost 40 years. So lots of history. And you've been just about everywhere, I would assume, for every kind of fish in this trek. Well, my life changed drastically. In I ran some of the TV over the years. But then uh, when the lenders left, they sold the, the magazine in 1998. And so we were left without anyone to take Al's place doing the television. And so I agreed to do the television. Um, and that was like we started in like 2001. So up until that time, I was deeply engrossed in catfishing. But at that point, uh, I had to make a decision. I couldn't, I couldn't spend as much catfishing time as I used to. Because I had to do all these different species, and as you're saying, you're su- suggesting that you know you we had to do the, all of this traveling because the whole essence of the show is we always promised three different fish species from three different parts of North America in each show. So it was always a fast-moving show because you've got about 20 minutes of uh, uh, on-camera time in a 30-minute show. So three different fish species, typically about six minutes a segment. So three different segments away you go. Now, before we dig into the book, I got to bring Rob in and introduce him. Rob, uh, you came from a little different and came later. Now, you are a doctor of biology, is that correct? Right. Yep. Fisheries, yep. So when you came, uh, what was your primary job? Be the in-house biologist? I know I've actually shot shows with you and worked with you quite a bit in a magazine, but uh, what was your primary thing as you came into In Fisherman, and when did you come into In Fisherman? Oh, I came on board uh, about 50, a little over 15 years ago, and um, I was, uh, I was at the time, I was pursuing a career in academia. I was teaching fisheries um, in Connecticut and then on to southern Illinois, and uh, uh, I had always been in communication with Doug about um, opportunities and, and did some writing for the magazine, and it was an opportunity that came up, and we chatted about it back in about 04, I think it was, and uh, came on board as managing editor with uh, a host of duties uh, ranging from uh, working on the magazines to radio to helping out with television. Um, so kind of kind of like all the rest of the editors, we're all kind of on board doing the same sort of things and uh, staying involved with what's happening. You know, I, I've shot four segments with you over the years and done a handful of uh, magazine interviews, or at least maybe directly or indirectly. Uh, was Catfish your thing coming into this, too, as a, as a sportsman? I enjoyed catfishing. I, uh, I, I've always been a multi-species angler, 
Um, but the first catfish I ever caught were, were bullheads, um, either fishing with my grandpa near Park Rapids out in Minnesota, or I grew up in the Chicagoland area. And um, we were sort of limited on waters. We had some rivers and streams, but I was primarily fishing golf courses and, and cemetery ponds. It sounds kind of strange, but <laughs> those are the places we were able to ride our bike to. So there were some holes in the chain link fences. We were able to dig it in there. And um, I remember a couple ponds that were just loaded with, with bullheads, and that was a lot of fun. Carp and, carp and bass too. Um, and then as I went on, I just wanted to fish more and more. Um, got into more channel catfishing in some of the lakes. Once I got my driver's license, I was able to drive and hit some other larger lakes and rivers. And uh, one of the first big channel cats I caught, uh, I had no idea how to clean it. And I was just a kid, 16 years old or whatever. I called my grandpa. He came out and uh, uh, showed me how to clean my first channel cat. So that was kind of cool. And um, ever since then, it's kind of been multi-species pursuits and, uh, uh, whatever, whatever's fun out there to catch, I'm on board. That's, that's, uh, I like hearing that. And, you know, I've been mentioning as this season's been going on, I don't know if you've seen the show or not, but it seems like the deeper and deeper I get into the catfish thing, the less good I am at everything else. It just, it's starting to get frustrating actually. So feel free to laugh if you need to. <laughs> um, I want to step back, you know, I just want to get an introduction from both of you, but um, Doug, when you guys were getting ready to do the channel catfish fever book, um, kind of what went into the procedure to decide to do that? Um, I'm not so sure if I remember specifics about that. It was 1990, I believe. Um, obviously, the Toad Smith years, uh, infamous character that I ran around with for about five or six years, uh, that was that precluded the writing of the book. Uh, of course, we had by that time a long history of doing other books, and I had talked the lenders, of course, you didn't have to talk them into too much. They were always on the cutting edge of what was happening in fishing. They didn't want to miss out on anything uh, relevant. And they finally recognized, as I had kept telling them, that you can't ignore this market. And so we started to write some articles. Uh, it became immediately popular. Um, you know, you've got 7 million catfishermen out there. That, you know, you've got 3 million typically walleye guys, walleye fishermen, um, men and women anglers. And so they, they caught on pretty fast that this was an opportunity. Uh, so probably about 1998, 1989, uh, we sat down and started this book. So Toad Smith was a little bit involved. He wasn't really much of a writer. Uh, he was a character, basically. Um, <clears throat> Steve Grooms did a lot of the, ed the original editing and writing. We would get together and sit in a conference room and discuss about, you know, the various chapters, what we wanted to go in there. And then he did actually a lot of that original writing. Um, of course, a lot of the article writing I did and a lot of it was drawn from there. So it was just an opportunity finally to begin to tell people, uh, in some depth, a lot more about how to catch channel catfish. So we got started and it went from there. I think uh, we had the first Catfish Insider, which is the original magazine. That started, I think, about six years later, 96 it was. So just a, just a process. Uh, 
just doing what in fisherman does, which is teaching America how to catch fish and have fun. Well, I, I've chosen to discuss this book with you because basically everywhere I go and everybody I talk to in some way, shape, or form started out with this book and the basic concepts of the run, riffle, hole. But before I dig into that, i got to back up a step. Where did you find Toad Smith? Well, when I was teaching school, I had his kids in school, and they were great kids. So there was two boys and a girl, and he was actually a deputy sheriff in town at that time. Um, so I would meet him. He would never come to teacher com- or uh, parent-teacher conferences, only his wife would. So, uh, which would be no surprise, you know, (laughs) but the first time I actually met him, I would be driving back and forth to the Iowa Great Lakes to a shore cast for walleyes at night, especially in the fall. And um, so the one night I had my boat with me and I saw a a roadkill deer hit in front of me. So I stopped and um, it was a small doe. I hoisted it into the boat and took it home and started to clean it. And back in those days, In Iowa, you had to have permission filing to keep this deer, so I called the sheriff's department, and out came Toad Smith, and he was also a great hunter, great bow hunter, killed hundreds of deer uh, with bow, early day bow hunter. Um, So he came and had a look, and that was really the first time we ever talked. He wasn't real impressed with my uh, small doe in the boat, but uh, that was the start of the Toad relationship. Then he had a heart attack in, I think, about 85, and he always joked that I was the only one who would ever really travel with him after that because he, everybody was scared they'd end up with a stiff in the room uh, <clears throat> after he had this heart attack. So we got started together in that way, and we just uh, both hunted and fished together for those five or six years before he actually had his final heart attack and died. 91, that was in November. So with the adventures of that were actually on TV and in the book, those actually didn't last too terribly long then if it was 1991 no it was uh we probably filmed well certainly we were filming already by night or 88 but i don't remember it may have been 87 i'm not sure but no it wasn't it wasn't very long uh i think that last year was the first year of the filming flatheads for in fishermen so we started that together uh that was a great adventure um, but, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't long. It was a short and fast relationship. Uh, lots of fun though. That's for sure. Just in watching those old videos, it seemed like he either, you know, from an impression of me, he either didn't care there was a camera there or seemed kind of annoyed by it. I've never been able to figure out which one. So maybe I can solve <laughs> the mystery here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he was, he was great on film, but those were different days, too. Uh, a lot of the stuff we did was a lot longer, so it wasn't so quite so short, although they may have ended up at six minutes. We were actually shooting, like, 12-minute segments, and then they cut through this stuff. It was a different process back in the day when we were first starting with the video stuff and that kind of thing after filming with uh, film for so many years before that. So not to dwell on it, but I read somewhere that you guys were getting letters for Toad. Are they still showing up, or is that kind of waned now as the years Oh, that's kind of passed now. It's been a long time. But uh, <clears throat> those first years, for sure, um, people thought he was still with us and, you know, that kind of thing. So, 
You know, one thing, and I, I look at it two or three different times a year, I got the book out here. It's the uh, hand-drawn characteristics and then the story that goes with it that's in the book, if you remember any of that, where it's, um, what was it called, like Carter's Hole, Timmons Hole, and it just talked about an adventure of a night where you guys went through and oh. kind of how you scouted out the day and went through yeah. it. And I, to this day, go through that two or three times a winter, just rereading that story. I think that's probably the one thing in there that I've probably worn out more than anything, just because <clears throat> I think anglers forget that. They forget that, you know, breaking it down and just looking at it from a realistic getaway from the beaten yeah. path aspect of it. And, you know, there's a lot in there, obviously, but I think that's the lesson that can live on forever was that little part right there. I agree with you. And you remind me that I should go have a look back through it again myself. Um, there's so much to look at here and so much to do and so much to plan that uh, sometimes the past gets left there, I guess. Well, that's that's just life moving on. So when you guys were, <clears throat> I'm going to move off of this here quick, but when you got, were doing this run-riffle-hole theory that we all in some way, shape, or form utilized to this day, I mean, you're the f- or this book was the first I had ever heard of it. I mean, so I attach it to you. Um, and I know when I visited you, when I was writing my book, you kind of explained how you came up with it. And it was, uh, if you could tell that story real quick. I don't remember what I told you. But... <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> no, okay. Well, the essence of it all started with me and being 10 years old back on the uh, Little Rock River north of our town. And um, this may be completely different than what I told you before, but it's all of the same ilk. So in June, typically, I would be, so school would be out and I'd be spending time on the river. And if the right conditions, you get the right conditions in June on these small rivers, they absolutely, and it's, the water's low and it's not flowing that hard and it, they absolutely clear up. <clears throat> And so for the first time, I began to get an idea about, okay, well, there's this deep hole here, and you could actually see some fish in the deeper hole. And there were the riffle and the, the, you know, the hole and then the run. Okay, I didn't have it, but I had the basic idea already then. Uh, by the time I started getting in more deeply into fishing, so this is the time that I had then moved to, Bur- or to uh, Sibley, Iowa to start teaching, so this is uh, 71, 1971. Um, <clears throat> started to put it together a little bit more. And the first story that I ever wrote for Fishing Facts magazine was on this basic theory of rivers flow on a continuous series of riffle hole run, riffle hole run. And then it's all a matter of evaluating how one riffle hole run compares to the next, and you've got some really good ones and some really marginal stuff and that kind of thing. So that's basically where it all came from. Uh, Toad came in later, but he had already understood this basic fact too. The first thing that I uh, was really impressed with Toad about was the fact that he had introduced float fishing, or bobbers as we call them, the little round red bobber, to the catfishing process. I did. I have never thought of that. He was the first one to introduce that to me. And it was absolutely deadly in these small rivers, especially when the water was down again in the summertime. So that's kind of how it all started. And so then I wrote about it. 
Um, I don't know what I remember what I told you, but something like that. It was pretty much exactly the same right up until the part where you added Toad and the Bobbers in. So (laughs) pretty much exactly the same. So, you know, it's, it's true. And then now with technology, we've been able to fine tune a lot of that stuff even deeper. And I've, you know, I go to, gone to the next level where I, I spend a lot of time on current. So there's the run, there's the riffle, there's the hole, but how's the current running on this side versus this side and all that fun stuff. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot there that we still don't know, but that's, that's the basis of it. So, um, I just forgot where I was going to go with that. Oh, I was going to tell you, uh, just a quick story that I was deer hunting one year and I ran into a, a watershed where it floods in the spring and I ran a perfect run riffle hole where it's got the rocks and then it dumps into the hole and then it's got a big flat and then more rocks. And it was just repeating itself, but it was in the grass. And I gave up on deer hunting and walked back to the truck to get a camera a mile so I could go back and take pictures of it. So that has, that lesson has stuck with me, but, um, I just wanted to touch on, on that book and kind of where a lot of those concepts that we all use today go, um, not to ignore Dr. Rob sitting over there. Uh, next thing is kind of moving ahead into, into current things. Uh, catfish destinations. You've obviously seen or at least heard of various destinations coming and going. What, what's kind of the, the hot one on the landmark or on the horizon right now around the country? Anything sticking out, uh, for whether it's flatheads or blues or anything that we should know about that you guys are hearing? Well, if, um, with blues, you know, we see these, these giant fish coming from waters, um, out East, like in, uh, Gaston, Bugs Island, um, the world record, 143 pounders, Zach Rice kept, caught those couple hundred pounders out there. Those reservoirs out there seem to be really producing some big fish. How that, how that long that's going to last is, is, would be an int- interesting thing, um, but then also the big rivers out there, the Potomac, the James, those are always big fish producers for blue cats. Um, the Mississippi, perennial favorite, particularly down by uh, Memphis, um, confluence with the Missouri River around the St. Louis area. And then sort of a sleeper area that a lot of guys seem to be talking about is down the southern portion of the Mississippi River that you don't hear a lot about. But there are big fish being caught, you know, down as far as Baton Rouge and below. Um, some of the top cat guys are looking at that to produce some of the next really big behemoth blue cats. Um, and then there's also those waters that have, have traditionally produced big fish like Texoma um, and uh, Wilson Pickwick, the uh, Tennessee River waters, and some of those TBA impoundments down that way are are going to uh, continue probably to produce some big fish. You pretty much covered the entire list with that, but it's interesting you bring up the Louisiana portion because our mutual friend Corey Schmidt turned me onto that a couple of years ago, and I've been kind of watching that the past couple of years, and you're right. That does seem kind of to be that not-talked-about area. Yeah, Corey's written about that uh, now and again, and uh, when we do our destination pieces and and in the catfish guide and so on. And um, you just don't hear a lot about it, but I think over time people are going to fish that a little bit more and we're going to hear more news coming out of that area for big, big, big blue cats in particular. Yeah. It's such big water. Yeah. 
it's really intimidating to just even drive over it and look at it. <clears throat> Any of that TVA stuff is. I, we were down there, well, I was down there oh, six or seven years ago now, and they were using the helicopters to get the power lines over the river. That's really something to see. Yeah, one thing I was intrigued about long, you know, it's maybe been a decade or so ago, and Rob may remember this or who the scientist was, but that whole section of uh, the Missouri that runs through the state of Missouri, uh, that was all tremendous water for blue cats at one time. Um, And a lot of the uh, flooding was influential. I know that there was a couple guys who were fishing those sections in there and catching a lot of big fish. And I kind of completely lost track of that. I haven't heard about these guys anymore for a long time. That's one I haven't really heard. I know they fish it for them, but I guess I haven't really heard about that section right there. Yeah. Well, the point would be that uh, there's so much of all of these rivers that's not that much explored yet. So I mean, the Mississippi that you're talking, or the lower end of the Mississippi that you're talking about, I think Rob's absolutely right. There's, it's just hardly doesn't get fished. Um, but it's, it's such ominous looking water. Uh, it's not, it's not beautiful stuff. And, but sure, there's got to be giant fish for sure. The 150 pound mark has certainly got to go here one of these times. Uh, I think people just fish more efficiently, uh, like on those reservoirs. They get uh, the spots figured out a little easier. Uh, the rivers are a different story, but I think the big fish are in the rivers yet. I think, uh, you know, yeah. I think 150 isn't really, I think there are much bigger fish out there than that, but we'll see. And those big expansive waters like that, that tend to still be a mystery um, and have yet to be explored are, are you know, They'll, they'll kind of get smaller as right. electronics and, and people's ability to to map and discover the various structures down there, um, search for fish, do some mapping. Um, those areas will become more defined. And um, that, that sort of last frontier, people are going to get a, a, a much better look at it uh, using some electronics tools. And then on the flathead front, really, there hasn't been this this progression uh, in learning how to catch these fish from, especially from rivers. Uh, apparently they may not be there in the numbers in some of these bigger rivers that they may have been at one point. Um, but you still have giant fish in all of the, you know, many of the reservoirs that uh, may or not may or may not get fished efficiently. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time on Lake Fork fishing for largemouths, and I'm always poking around also, and there's always a few guys around who are fishing for flatheads. And there's big fish, you know, but uh, 124 pounds, you know, I don't know. Uh, those are kind of far and few between. The uh, which river I, is it? I have Canada? to jump in there, Doug, because okay. that, that, that one you caught on uh, Tawakini was was giant. Yeah, that was that was ninety pounds. If it was, a, I mean, that was a big, big flat. The biggest one I ever saw in my life. That was a that was a cool the biggest thing. one I ever hoped to catch for sure. Yeah. But then on the channel catfish front, I mean, channel catfish in forty four states. Uh, I love to fish tiny rivers. That's what I spend. You know, the time that I do get to catfish, most of the time, that's where I spend the time that I have. And that's still my favorite, I think. Um, 
but you go every place across the country and it's really rare for someone not to have the opportunity to uh, drive 10, 15, 20 minutes and not be able to get on a small stream and catch these channel cats. And a lot of these rivers, uh, they've gotten a lot better because a lot of the stretches that I fished, and I think this is mainly because of the clean water and the clean water act, uh, because I mean, if, if we, if we had a day, a good day was like six or seven or eight channel cats. But I mean, there's a lot of these rivers in Iowa now where you go there and you can have a 50, 60 fish day. Uh, so the rivers have gotten a lot, you know, the fish aren't that big, but I mean, there's lots and lots of fish. Of course, the epitome of the greatest channel cat fishery is the one you fish, obviously. Um, yeah, I'm pretty lucky. And yes, you bring up uh, uncharted waters. We have, I know about a hundred miles that nobody fishes or very rarely fishes. Well, we covered that. We, when Toad Smith and I took a trip one time in 88, we doing all right. Yep. yep we're fine. And um, our objective was to fish the entirety of the red river. Um, so we would, uh, we started in Breckenridge and we would go to the next bridge going across the river or, if we saw a farm that was on the river and there was an obvious driveway, this was still back in the day where you didn't get shot at if you drove down a, you know, a, a driveway and you could ask. And so we fished a lot of it. Now there wasn't that much time to fish. And one of the impressive things was this was in August, if I remember correctly. And there was a section of river South of where you're at that I think there was no running water for 20, like 20 miles. It was, I mean, there was, the river was nothing. There was no water. So I <laughs> presume that was due to irrigation, but I don't know for sure. But it, that's what impressed me most is that there was this big section of river that just wasn't running. There was no water there. Uh, so we fished here, there, everywhere, got to Drayton, uh, finally made it to, <clears throat> we had to fish Canada uh, the year after that, I believe it was. So we got to the border. So we made an attempt to see it all. Obviously, you can't, but you're right. I mean, there's all kinds of sections in there that never get fished. Yeah, you get into, you know, between Oslo and Drayton, you know, 20, 30 miles out by where the Grafton Bridge crosses. The only time that gets fished is the two days of the Drayton tournament, basically. Oh, yeah. And then I think between Drayton and Pemina, there's a lot of water that never gets looked at. And then you look at the Canadian side just over the border up, you know, almost to Winnipeg. Who's fishing in that section? There can't be that many people fishing in that section. They used to fish the southern part of it, but uh, I have no idea anymore. So you both, uh, a few minutes ago, brought up efficiency and electronics, and I think that's changed the game in the catfish world. Um, is there anything in the electronics world that sticks out what, better than the others? In, in my case, I think mapping is, is the one. With The mapping has changed the world, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, mapping, mapping for sure, and particularly on rivers that aren't well mapped. Like maybe in your neck of the woods, I mean those those are those are unique maps nobody else has, and that's that's really cool stuff and technology to be able to do that. Um, but it's been neat to see it evolve over the years. You know, when we were looking at two D sonar, you know that that was two D sonar, and then when uh, side scan came out. Uh, side imaging, anglers were able to, you know, it, it just broadened their view. Now they can find individual fish, 
you know, over there, mark a waypoint on it. And, and we saw guys on, on uh, like, like John Jameson, for example, who, who was, was kind of a master at that and developed the technique of bait walking to individual fish, not necessarily just an area, but marking that fish and being able to, to, to walk a bait. So the precision really, really got enhanced and, and it became, you got more of a personal connection with the fish too. So you went from 2D to now looking at individual fish and targeting them to not only targeting individual fish, but now watching them swim around in real time and reacting to baits and lures that it's just been a phenomenal evolution in terms of what anglers can now see and discover in the underwater world. It's incredible. Yeah. Have you heard of anybody using the Garmin live scope for catfish? I have not. I have not either. Um, I know some people that have it, but I don't know anybody that's hooking it onto the catfish boat yet, seeing if it. Yeah. Well, the amazing thing is that when it comes to crappies, we've done a lot of, uh, we haven't done, but we've done a lot of reading about people who have been using it. And uh, and apparently they have no trouble um, deciphering and seeing crappies even in timber cover. So I would have to say that that means that uh, they can probably do that for catfish too. It just hasn't been applied. I, I think that's a possibility, but you know, stepping back to the mapping, I mean, just, since Rob and I shot the last TV show together, I've got the river mapped. And as I've learned current better, I find myself almost never leaving the map page anymore. Just figure out what current seam they're on, what's you know, the front of the hole, back of the hole, and just using that map and running that seam, staying as efficient as you can. I don't do much drifting or any drifting for that matter up here. So it's anchor and go, anchor and go. And I think yeah. that's really sped up the efficiency, at least in my world. Well, that makes sense. You bet. And that's probably helped you in some of those techniques or the theory, you know, the lateral movement theories where, you know, the fish are on one area of the river at at a certain water level or certain uh, discharge. And then as the discharge changes, they'll move into a more mid-channel area. And those maps, are, I, I imagine, are really helping you isolate where those fish are and what kind of areas they're holding at, whether it's current or structural or whatever it might be, or both usually. That lateral movement theory has uh, evolved a lot over the last two years. I've gotten, I've kind of changed the terminology. It's the same, but for whatever reason, lateral movement never stuck up, stuck. It's more, you know, everybody still thinks it's bigger than it actually is. It's gotten easier to explain as on versus off current. And then once you point out how to read it based on the bends and just looking at the water, then it's kind of that aha moment. So yeah. it's gotten a lot easier by bringing it to that on versus off, even though it's the exact same thing. But, you know, I've done a lot of fine tuning. I mean, last year I was fishing the slow water next to the fast water. I was finding a seam in the seam, basically. And, I mean, that was it's, – it's really gotten cool. It's really interesting. So how is what you are doing, how does the surface uh, apply to what you think is actually happening down below them? Well, it's always on the, what you see in that seam where it breaks is always showing up on the map as the main drop-off. Oh. But if you look ahead upstream from where you're anchored and watch how the current breaks around the bends... It's usually pointing to the off to the offer the on current portion, 
And once I learn how to decipher that, and if you figure out if they're in the middle part of the hole or the back part of the hole, however they're into that and figure out which current seam they want, you're, you're much better off for efficiency. Okay, gentlemen, we're having a technical difficulty here, so we're going to probably have to um, take a quick break and, and re resume here. I'll be emailing you a new Zoom here in a minute. <laughs> so do we have to get back on again, or are you going to stay with us? I think I'm going to have to re-invite you. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll just trim it here because we're running out of time. Normally it doesn't time us out, but it's threatening to time us out. Oh. Should we just redo it? Yeah, good idea. Well, we're... Well, now we might as well just finish it and start right in with Thunder Rays. Sorry, guys. It says less than one minute, and then it's going to cut us off. Usually it says upgrading, and away we go. Welcome to technology. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's probably going to cut us off, and we'll quick send another invite, and we'll start right with current, and we'll edit this middle piece out. Come on, tell me what you're going to do. Yep, it's gone. Stop it. <laughs>